What we are talking about today goes back to the very beginning of God's relationship with human beings. It is absolutely central to our story with God. So central is it to the story of God that people, to the story of God and people, that the Bible just about starts off with today's topic. It's in the third chapter of the book of Genesis that we see this topic on full display. Now, earlier this week, Pastor Rebecca and I were hanging out in her office. We were talking pastor talk like we do. We only ever talk about very serious pastory things. <laughs> I'm sure that you knowing Pastor Rebecca like you do, you know it is only business between us, never any fun. So anyway, we were talking pastor-like, and I noticed that she had two new books on her desk, new Bibles that she ordered for some of our younger kids' Sunday school rooms, big Bibles. They're called the Spark Storybook Bible. And I was flipping through one of them, and I found this awesome retelling of the story of Adam and Eve. Now, you know that they eat the fruit that they aren't supposed to eat. Well, the story Bible then says, I didn't want to bring the whole Bible up, so I just copied the pages. You can see it's got nice little illustrations. So the story Bible says, as soon as they ate the fruit, everything changed. Adam and Eve became very embarrassed and shy. They sewed some leaves together, making some pretend clothes to try to cover their bodies. They stood nervously behind some bushes. Then they heard God walking around in the garden. God called out to them, Yoo-hoo, where are you? <laughs> Adam and Eve hid. Hey, where did you go? God called. Adam peeked out from behind some vines. He said, I heard you, and I was afraid. Why were you afraid? asked God. Well, I'm naked, for one thing, said Adam, who was quite embarrassed. So I hid. I see, replied God. Who told you you were naked? Adam said nothing. Did you eat the fruit from the tree I told you not to eat from? asked God. Eve gave it to me, Adam blurted out. <laughs> the serpent made me eat it, exclaimed Eve. He tricked me. God sighed. I told you not to eat from that tree. Because you have done what I told you not to do, life will be very difficult for you. You will have to leave this beautiful garden and work very hard to get the things you need. Now you will know what it is to be unhappy, and someday you will die. I made you from dust. When you die, you will become dust again. God made some real clothes for Adam and Eve and sent them out into the big world, and God was with them everywhere they went. Now, Adam and Eve's story is an archetypal one. Okay, they are archetypes, meaning their story isn't true in that we couldn't go and find a grave and dig up their bones. But their story is true in that it tells us something really, really real about ourselves. This story contains a deep truth about us and about God, and it helps us understand the world work, how the world works. And the deep truth is this, that even when we are given very simple instructions Something like, don't eat from this one tree in the garden that's full of delicious things to eat. What do we do? We eat it. Our curiosity, our sense of independence, our love of risk, our ability to be tempted, all of that gets in our way and we end up doing something that hurts us and pulls us away from God. And there are consequences to that. Adam and Eve's whole lives changed after they ate that fruit. They lost the chance to be in Eden 
It, it's a way for, for the Bible to tell us that when we make bad choices, hard things result, and God doesn't save us from the hard things. But one of the things that's not a result of those bad choices, and this is true for the little bad choices that we make every day and the big bad choices that we make at our worst moments, one thing that is never the result of those bad choices is God choosing to forsake us. God does not do it. God would have every right to. God has plenty of grounds by which to just wash God's hands of us and say, I'm done, I'm finished, you're on your own. But God doesn't do it. And why not? Because God is merciful. God is merciful. Today is week three of our series, God Is, where we're exploring the attributes of God. We proclaim that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is completely steady and consistent in character, so who we see God to be in the Bible is who we can count on God to be today, is who we trust God will be in the future. So far in this series, we've talked about how God is holy and God is just. God cares about righteousness and God cares about justice, which if those were the only characteristics of God, we would be in some big trouble because sure, we want to be righteous, we want to be just, but we fail at that all the time. So if God were simply holy and just, our relationship would be over pretty quickly. But God is also merciful. Our God is a God of mercy, and God chooses not to hold our mistakes against us. God does not keep a record of our sins. God sees our failures and responds to us with forgiveness, with restoration, with healing, with mercy. And this is basically the entire story of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. God makes a covenant with the people. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And this is how I want you to live as a holy people set apart for my glory. And the people say, cool, let's do it. And then they screw up <laughs> in small ways and in giant ways. And God says, you broke the covenant, but you're my people and I love you and I will save you from yourselves, and I will restore the covenant with you. That's the Hebrew Bible. And then we come to the person of Jesus, whose whole job, basically, was to be a living embodiment of the mercy and the love of God. Now, those two things are related, the love of God and the mercy of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the love of God. Today, the mercy of God. When we turn our attention to the New Testament, we see the story between God and people has not really changed, just the method by which God offers to us the salvation. God is still just as concerned with both holiness and justice because God is holy and God is just. But people are just as prone to wander away from the ways of God and that makes for trouble. So God's decision is to send us a savior to put God's mercy on full display in the person of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, he was concerned about holiness. We can see plenty of stories in the Bible where he talks about being righteous. And Jesus is very concerned with justice, very concerned with justice. So much so that one day he's going to be that Christ the King that sits on the throne and judges us in eternity. But we don't need to be scared by that because no matter how short we have come in doing justice, Jesus also has a lot to say about God's mercy. The story we read today is one example of this, where Jesus talked about it and he showed it. It's kind of weird for us to find the story of a calling of, the, of a disciple in the middle of the gospel. 
We expect that at the beginning of the story, but this is in the middle, and we find this, this short story about the calling of Matthew. I just want to say the disciple Matthew is not the same as the guy who wrote the book, the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, the book was written decades and decades after Jesus' death, likely after the disciple Matthew had died. So these are different guys, just the same name. And in this ninth chapter, Jesus, he's been out healing, he's been teaching, he's been making a ruckus wherever he goes, and he sees this guy, Matthew, who's a tax collector, which you might remember is not a great thing to be in ancient Israel. I mean, he worked for Rome, which was the occupying empire. He took money from people who were already struggling to get by, and most tax collectors people thought were cheats and manipulators, because whatever else extra they extracted, they got to make themselves rich. Now, I have never personally known someone who worked for the IRS. But I bet that most people who do work for the IRS don't go around bragging about it. What do you think? We don't have much love for tax collectors today. Imagine if our tax collectors were working for a foreign government. Imagine if they were allowed to collect more of our money to keep some from themselves. We would really, really not like them. So Matthew, the tax collector, not a crowd favorite. But Jesus sees him and he says, follow me. And Matthew does. Bam, new disciple. Later, they're at dinner. We can assume with some of Matthew's friends, the story calls them other tax collectors and sinners, And the religious leaders, they see Jesus eating with these people, and they get really mad. But Jesus isn't having it. He says, hey, I came to hang out with the sick, not the well. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying that he came to earth to hang out not with perfect people, but with people who've gone sideways. Jesus is out looking for the people who've gone the most off track. He's looking for the ones who most need his help. He wants to find the ones that are the most lost, the ones who are the most screwed up. And why? Because he's there to show mercy. He doesn't want to just pat good people on the head. He wants to find the ones who think there's no hope and restore them, and forgive them, and bring them new life, and show them God's unbelievable mercy. I was on Twitter this week, not just this week, I'm on Twitter a lot, but I saw this tweet that was a really great reminder of this central characteristic of God, God's mercy. It said, the story of scripture in four phrases is repeated throughout its pages. These are the four phrases that summarize scripture. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You can come home. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You can come home. You can come home. I I read that and I immediately think about the prodigal son. But the truth is, we can find that same message in so many encounters of Jesus. It's a way to summarize his whole purpose on earth, that he was here to bring God's incredible, inexhaustible mercy. I know you screwed up. You can come home. Now, you might be worried. Pastor Amy, 
Are you saying that God is so merciful, so forgiving, so ready to restore us and make things right, that God is just a big softy? That God's a pushover? That God doesn't actually have any boundaries? Nope. This does not mean that God is soft at all. It means God is forgiving. More forgiving than we're comfortable with, at least for other people. But God still wants us to live holy lives. God still wants us to be people of justice. That's actually why God is merciful. So we can be restored, so we can be made whole, and from there we can go on to live holy and just lives. Now no doubt, Matthew and his friends, they got up from that table with Jesus and they were different. They were ready to make changes. But if they screwed up again, Jesus wasn't going to say, you got your one shot, it's over. And that's just true for us too. God's mercy is central to our relationship. Thank goodness God offers forgiveness again and again. I mean, really, this is such good news for us. And I hope that you will take it to heart today. I, I hope that whatever is heavy on your spirit today, whatever is weighing you down, a stupid thing that you said to someone, a way that you hurt someone intentionally or unintentionally, a goal that you failed to meet, a habit that you fell into that sidetracked your life, whatever it is that is weighing you down, I want to invite you to turn it over to God's mercy today. I mean it, whatever it is, whatever small and trivial it seems or, or however big and monumental it seems, give it to God today and ask God for mercy. Ask God for mercy Ask God to wipe the slate clean. Ask God to relieve you of the guilt, of the burden, of the shame, of the pain, of the haunting of your mistakes. Ask God to bring your heart home. Ask God to restore you to balance, to make you ready to move ahead with justice and holiness and peace. Ask God to do it, and God will do it, because God is merciful. God will do it, God can do it because God is so powerful. God's mercy is really good news for us. And it can be kind of bad news for us. Or at least uncomfortable news for us. Because just as God has mercy enough for us, God has mercy enough for the person next to us and anybody who needs it. So just as God is inviting us to come home to sit down at the table and eat like he did the sinners and the tax collectors in the story, God is inviting a lot of other people to come and be at the table with us. And it may not be people that we like very much. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this passage from Matthew 9 in, in his uh, version of the Bible, The Message. It says, later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. As I was thinking about this scripture this week, I asked myself, Amy, 
who, I, I call myself by name, is that weird? Okay, I said, Amy, who is it that Jesus would invite to the table with you that would immediately make you squirm? And I thought, well, <laughs> probably this guy I met in Seattle a few weeks ago. I was there for a continuing education event, a group of colleagues with whom I'm meeting for a few years for leadership development, and I rented a car while I was in Seattle, and the flight times of my group were such that I ended up driving back to the airport all alone. Now, I have to tell you, I was really thrilled with my car rental on this trip because I managed to rent the exact same car that I own and drive here at home. Have you ever done that? It's amazing. It was a white GMC Terrain SLT, just like mine, except four years newer. Guys, I knew how to work everything on that car. Best rental ever. Okay, so I'm driving my GMC Terrain back to the airport, and of course I needed to stop for gas, and of course I needed to find a station close to the airport. I found one that, that my GPS said was very close, one exit away. I had no idea where I was in Seattle, but I pulled into the gas station parking lot and I saw a guy standing on the curb, completely away from any other cars. And my little internal awareness alarm went off. That dude's waiting to hustle people, I thought to myself. Sure enough, when I got out of the car, started pumping gas, he walked over to me and asked if I could give him some money. Now, his story started with, I don't do drugs, I don't drink, I'm trying to finish a book, and I'm asking for donations to help me get it published. Okay. Man, I, <laughs> I can think of some better ways to raise funds for self-publishing, but... Okay. I said, uh, I can't give any money, I don't have any cash. And he looked at me, and he looked at my white GMC Terrain SLT, and he said, what do you mean you don't have any money? You're rich. Look at that car. I said, I don't have any cash. I almost never have any cash. I legit did not have any cash. I do not have any cash right now, okay? I said, I cannot help you today. I'm sorry. He said, what do you do? I mean, I did not want to tell him. <laughs> I also did not want to feel terrible for telling him I was an accountant or something. So I said, I'm a pastor. You a pastor, he said. Yep. Which then meant I got a lot of information about his spiritual life and what he thinks about God. And I was standing there wishing my gas tank would hurry up and finish. And I wished, how did I not have just one colleague who needed a ride to the airport at the same time as me? And I looked around trying to say, who else is witnessing this interaction between me and this guy? Finally, the gas pump finished. And he asked me to pray for him. And I did. I prayed that God would help him finish his book. <laughs> And I prayed that God would protect him and God would send blessings his way. And after we said, amen, he said, you gave a real good prayer. I said, thanks. And then I got in my car and I drove to the airport. But y'all, I was so uncomfortable during that entire encounter. I wished the whole time for an escape hatch. Which is why when Jesus invites me to sit at the table with tax collectors and sinners, I need to count myself lucky 
if I get to sit at the same table as that guy at the gas station? Because God's mercy is as fully available to him as it is to me, no matter what he was really up to that day. And my discomfort is all about me and my lack of mercy. Doesn't have anything to do with that guy. Friends, we are created, we are loved, we are sustained by a merciful God. A God who has mercy enough for us and for all in the world who need it. And that might be hard to believe sometimes, which is part of why I know it's true. Trusting in God's mercy, may we all look at the world with merciful eyes, ready to eat with everyone that Jesus invites to the table. Amen.